Filmed in Canada is a low-cal, so-cal, uh, brown cow podcast about Canadian movies. And for more content, you can go to our website at www.filmedincanada.net. Yes, and you can email us at filmedincanada at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're filmedincanada, D-U-H. And we have a barren wasteland of a Facebook group, Filmed in Canada podcast. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> you can mail us at <laughs> P.O. Box 54324567. Hey, I'm William. I'm Chris. And I'm Alexander. Today we're talking about the 2001 movie Aton Arjwat, The Fast Runner. Yes. Fast. Fast and Furious Runner. I um, believe it was my suggestion, not necessarily my recommendation because I hadn't seen it before, um, but I've sort of made it my mission, so to speak, to want to watch and discuss the movies that make up the greatest Canadian films list that TIFF puts out every 10 years. Um, I guess I guess only those on the most recent iteration of the list. This list was which year's uh, version? 2012, I 2012. believe. Okay. So they're due to make another list when? It's every 10 years, so 2022. Oh, okay. right. Right. Yeah, and so the previous list would have been in 2002. I don't I don't know if it was actually on, if Atenar Joet was on the list at that time, but in the intervening 10 years, it became the greatest Canadian movie of all time. Yeah, in 2015, TIFF nominated nominated it as the best Canadian movie of all time. Yeah. Oh, so maybe the list. I, no, I don't think the list is from 2015, though. I think I think the like the list that they put out that where they surveyed directors yeah. and everything. I think that's from 2012, just because I I like did a bunch of research on that list a while ago, and it, and it would have so it would have had to have already existed, and that was in like 2015 that I was doing that. I think so. I think it was a 2015 poll. Okay. That nominated it as the greatest Canadian movie of all time. Yeah. I don't know what Men in Brooms has to say about that, though. I've never seen Men in Brooms. Well, I think we should see it. It was nominated the same year as, uh, or it was put out the same year as this film. Yeah. So I'm not sure if Canada could put out two more disparate films than Men with Brooms and uh, Etan Arjuat, The Fast Runner. I, like, I genuinely don't know if I could watch another, what's his name? Paul Gross. Paul Gross. Even at a tribute to Leslie Nielsen, you wouldn't want to see Men with Brooms? I mean, like, I guess maybe, I don't know, like the, the, that war one that we saw, Hyena oh, Road. Yeah. Hyena yeah. Road? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He also made uh, Passchendaele? It, it, it was just like dumbfounding how incompetently made that movie is. And so I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we might not have time to catch uh, Men, Men, and Brooms Men and Brooms before yeah. the, uh, this podcast implodes. Before the magic 100 episodes are reached. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately, we did get uh, to this, uh, the fast runner. Um, so, so highly regarded movie, highly regarded Canadian movie. Yeah. And uh, it was my second time watching it through. Um, so I, I saw it when it originally came out in, in theaters uh, that year. How about you, Chris? Uh, I did not see it in theaters, but I saw it uh, as soon as it came out on <laughs> possibly VHS, but definitely <laughs> a format that one was able to watch it at home. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So probably 2002, early 2003. Right. 
I'm I'm blanking on my own viewing experience of watching it. What was it? Was it presented in in four by three, or was it a widescreen? I I can't. Oh, that I don't recall. Oh, but I, I know it was like much was made of the fact that it was shot on video. So right. I I'm guessing it would have been a four by three. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it was fairly square. Yeah. And do you guys want to explain why it was shot on video? Um, no. Is, is there oh. a reason? <laughs> there is a reason. Oh. I would hazard to guess that the reason was because they were shooting in remote locations. And the temperature. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. film cameras can't, uh, they, they, no pun intended, can't weather yeah. those uh, extreme temperatures. Interesting. Yeah. Also, I don't think they would have. I'm guessing they, this kind of a production wouldn't have that kind of budget to, to burn 35 mil in the Arctic. No, yeah. no. Asuma, uh, which is the production company that um, the director and other collaborators are a part of, they tried to get funding and were only given $100,000. I think it was from Telefilm um, because most of the money goes towards Frank, Frank, French language films and English films. But no one had ever given a big budget to an indigenous film right. with no English. And so they ended up going to the NFB who fudged it by saying, well, we don't do fiction any longer. That's not part of our catalog. But we're going to consider this a documentary because it is based on an oral tale. Mm. And this is sort of documenting this oral history with a camera. Right. So they were able to give him a $1.9 million budget as opposed oh, wow. to the hundred thousand dollar budget that he would have been given by and i believe it was telefilm so it was nfb that saved the day for uh, hmm. for the production wow and the director also says it was pretty racist it just seemed to yeah to him when they were trying to get funding in 98 99 that making a decision like that that you're not going to give money to an indigenous picture feels like you don't feel our stories are important yeah certainly not as important as men with brooms <laughs> Did it get money from telephone? No. Men with rooms? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One would think. That, we that, that, blows we don't know my, sure. that blows my mind, too. That, like, the Canadian film industry is so fucked that, like, the one movie every decade that presumably would have enough star power behind it to secure financing through traditional means, they still get money from the government that's, like what is going on yeah it's weird uh, it's it's a it's it's a strange system yeah but uh, they all those agencies though they you know they make a product for the masses right they hope right. to appeal to the most people in canada right so that so the curling movie probably has more appeal they think than uh than uh, this inuit story yeah i just don't i just don't feel like that should be the purpose of government funded art you should talk to your politician about that. Yeah. Yeah. And demand like that they, uh, you know, take the art seriously, arts funding seriously. Yeah. I don't, I get mistaken for Justin Trudeau enough that I don't want to engage with that nonsense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, so it's based on like, um, like a, a folktale or, a, or like an unknown cultural story right that's right mm -hmm. and so they um the director who's uh, zacharias canuck and the uh screenwriter who unfortunately passed away before the production made it to the big screen uh his name is paul apak 
uh, and I'm sorry I'm butchering the names here. Angleric? Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, you they, say I stepped on the stepped on Well, that's hand. probably good. You saved me mispronouncing mm. it. So they took, it. they took the uh, stories of eight elders, uh, and mm. they had heard these stories as they were growing up. Uh, so they had heard the story of the fast runner and mm. uh, just compiled it through speaking to uh, eight different elders and oh. made the screenplay okay. from that. The... The setting, the time period, is it, did, did it feel kind of vague to you, the time period? Or did, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. And if you read different things, reading, doing research for this, I was reading a thousand years ago yeah. and 500 years ago. So yeah. I don't know if there's I, a specific I, time. It is, you a know. A thousand years sticks out in my mind as like I read that somewhere, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. is that right? Okay. Yeah. And then another thing said 500. And so they were explaining that this story is actually older than Canada, which is an interesting way to think about. Hmm. This story in this this movie. Yeah, yeah. That's odd. But it, yeah, I just I don't know. I, I still can't place it either long ago or recently. It's it's just like elements of it just seem like it. I guess it just kind of defies time period the way that mm-hmm. it's presented, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's uh, like even on the poster on the DVD cover box, there's like that close up of um, of one of the characters' faces with an eyewear, and it's just like the the, the the precision cutting of the eyewear, hmm. um, like those, like the, the polished bone. Yeah, like the, the snow goggles with these very s- small mm-hmm. slits, right? I, I always thought that looked metallic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it seems like it's like the, um, um, like the the knowledge of tools or, or or handiwork involves would would have been more evolved. But uh, but I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe a thousand years ago they did have precision tools to make those kinds of cuts. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what's it about? It's uh, it's a story as old as time. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but uh, I, it, it's a story that I think is pretty familiar in, across cultures. It's about uh, evil coming into a community and disrupting the natural order, and a hero has to um, has to uh, rise up and vanquish that evil. Hmm. Very vague. Sorry, I, I don't. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm speaking of it in sort of uh, in those terms. But uh, what is the reason? It reminds me of so many movies. Okay. Yeah. Even though it is unique, I think it's still like a, a just like the uh, the broad strokes of it. I think is perhaps it's universal, or it just perhaps it's the same story. Hmm. But anyway, Alexander, you want to be want to give some more um, a, a more detailed description of the plot? I always. Flounder through these, uh, but I will I will attempt it to uh, humor you. I suppose there's a group of people. They uh, have some sort of shaman arrive at their encampment or whatever you want to call it. Um, it, as you say, brings in sort of this evil spirit. Um, the sort of protagonist of the movie Atanarjuat he then goes on to um this is this is I guess like a generation later when he's now an adult um he marries a woman has a child with her and then ends up taking a second wife there is a man in the village who's very jealous of the fact that he's taken the second wife um he ends up going on to commit some violent acts and 
um, Atanarjuat has to run really fast in order to not succumb to that violence as well. And then he runs fast again to get back to the village and save the day. One thing that's, um, I think, an important element of the story is that Atanajarat's wife was betrothed to another, mm. Oki, who is the son of the chief Sari. Right. And so when she wolfs Atanajarat, she's, she's in love with him, and they have a v- horrible feat of strength competition to see who gets to mm. have her as the wife. Mm-hmm. So Oki has, you know, he's angry. He is going to seek vengeance because he didn't get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Someone else got to take his wife, mm-hmm. the, the woman who was betrothed to him. Right. Okay. Now, so then I'd also like to add, I, I mean, if we back up a bit, there's, uh, in, in the opening moments, we, I think we meet a character who seems like he's the chief of this tribe. And, uh, like the, the shaman, whoever comes in, like he's an outsider of the village, right? Mm-hmm. But he seems to defeat the chief. Um, I can't, I can't tell what this contest it is that they're involved with, but mm. the chief somehow dies in the contest, right? Mm-hmm. But he's, a, but he's brought in, uh, by Sori, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, there's the implication that Sori invited him in to, um, participate in that contest mm. so that Sori could win um, the, 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 the chiefdom. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah. So there's, there's this, because uh, I, I also think that they, the characters say that they never saw the stranger again. Is that, does right. that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's something about um, an outsider element who helped Sori uh, attain the uh, crown, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, um, is it like, a, like the brother of that chief who is Atanarjuat's father mm. mm-hmm. right so he's raising his two sons but but the the other women in the village there's well, at least one other woman in the village um who um who brings the family meat says like these children will help us in the future so there's this there's this projection onto these onto these children that they're gonna save the village mm. you know so i think um uh, uh i i think in in myths you would uh you see that as a common element in a lot of uh, mythic tales where there's like a prophecy and there's like not not exactly like chosen ones but certainly that the next generation will correct the mistakes of the fathers mm-hmm. so i think it makes it like a very um, very epic kind of storytelling oh mm. absolutely you know when i was watching it i was thinking man it's shakespearean but of course it's before shakespeare but there's so many elements of um you know, like Oki reminds me of Iago, and there seems to be a King Lear type character. There just seemed to be a lot of things that were familiar to me from reading Shakespeare. Hmm. A tragic love story, um, star-crossed lovers. But like your implication being that that this is almost even like an even more prototypical example of storytelling in a way. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be Homeric or something, something much mm-hmm. earlier than than Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it's interesting that from a Western perspective, like we trace things back to like Greek mythology probably being like the earlier examples because that sort of was weaved into European culture and everything like that. But um, these oral traditions, there's no record of them other than what's coming up in in the more recent past in terms of 
these movies that are getting made and and um the the one that we edge of the knife talked edge of the knife yeah and um there was another the searchers Zacharias Canuck oh, did as mm-hmm. well. I don't know if that if that was necessarily myth related, but I I don't know the origins of that. But I mean, it was uh, uh, yeah. It seems like it, it's of uh, it would fall in with uh, I'd group them along with these movies. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like uh, um, I don't want to say primitive storytelling. I just I but I but I mean like it's it you know it it gets into like these very primal. Um, struggles of, of survival and mm-hmm. uh, and what it means to like um, survive and 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 kind of make a place for your own community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess it's just it's it's interesting that in in the case of of the Greek mythology and the European traditions, like we have not necessarily primary sources because you know they would have had to be transcribed or copied or whatever, but they're more primary than. Then this would be, I guess, because this is something that's passed down through generations and generations and generations, and now it's finally imprinted onto, you know, a, a, a piece of film video that can exist forever and and will not change. And yeah, it's it's quite um, like like the like the, or the oral tradition. Then it kind of arrives in a uh, in a more modern form, uh, but in a very significant way because it's it's it's. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's it's the means, it's the medium that is uh, the message. <laughs> it's it's the form that is most um, readily consumed today, right? Right. So it, it arrives in a way that it has the best chance to reach an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that um, the director. I mean, we can agree that the pace of this is very languid compared mm-hmm. to what we're used to. I was really surprised that it was two hours and 41 minutes long yeah i don't remember it being that epic and that meditative though william and i had seen the searchers a couple years ago that's right and we both were kind of um we found the pacing to be really relaxing i think we liked that things just unfolded in their own time Mm -hmm. but the director says 4,000 years of oral history silenced by 50 years of preschools and cable TV. So you think of this story being told for a 1,000 years and then record scratch. Oh, fuck. White people. And in 50 years, the erosion of a, of a living culture that had been telling the story for a 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like Edge of the Knife, you have 20 people that speak Haida in the whole world. Right. Not that there's 20 people that speak Inuit, but... I'm trying to just get to the point that it's such a quick erosion of such a long culture. Mm-hmm. When you think of the Roman Empire or, you know, when the Greeks were having their heyday, that went on for such a long period of time, and its devolution happened over a long time, and this just seemed to be such a, well, and there's, a record and there's, scratch. And there's so much recorded history right. to, to reflect on mm-hmm. with all of those events, yeah. Okay, so we agree that Canada deserves a pat on the back for making it, uh, and uh, nice that well, there's representation. I think the the Inuit people involved in the production of the movie deserve a pat on the back. I don't think sure. the okay. nation of Canada necessarily does. But no, but don't we sit back and say like, yeah, this is the kind of movies we make. We, not the people in this room, but yeah. we collectively. <laughs> I think I think what's more emblematic of that is the fact that this movie 
like I said, within that 10 year period has all of a sudden become the greatest Canadian film of all time. Like the fact that it so quickly has become this, this beacon, so to speak, I think is kind of, it, it plays into that idea that, you know, we, we do, since we don't, we can't compete with Hollywood, we need to promote those things that we can, we can do better or, you know, we can feel better about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do we feel it's entertaining? We feel good that it was made. Do we feel it's entertaining? No. I found it really compelling. Okay. The, was that, did Alexander kind of... <laughs> <laughs> did you say no? Yeah. Okay. All right. I think it's, um, it's good to be uh, honest about your reactions to a movie. Yeah. yeah. So that's fine. I was... Sitting down, I was initially a little bit resistant, but it won me over. I was, uh, and, and because of my current, uh, uh, situation with, uh, raising a baby, mm. I can't sit down for three hours to, <laughs> in front of yeah. a movie. So I, it was broken up, uh, into a number of segments for me, but, yeah. um, I did find that I wanted to, like, you know, continue watching it. And, uh, I, so, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't wanting to give up on it. I, I really wanted to get back to it. And I was aware that it was a little bit slow and, uh, that there was a lot more runtime to come. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I think it, I, I enjoyed it too. Nice. So, so I would be curious to further interrogate Alexander's reaction to it because you didn't, you haven't, um, you haven't like sat with it for 18 years like Chris and I have, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I just finished off watching it this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think, I think there's a whole host of reasons for why I might not have connected with it. Like partly just my current mental state and the fact that I was watching it at like five thirty in the morning in three separate chunks this week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily that say, think that I have a really concrete thesis or, you know, Rash, rationed arguments that I can really, I can really speak to, but I guess ultimately I just didn't, I didn't really connect with it and mm -hmm. I didn't, I just, I didn't really find the story engaging, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Do you, but, but we were talking about earlier how it seems like, um, like the broad strokes of the story, it, it, it just kind of, it comes up in different cultures or mm -hmm. different iterations, right? Did you, did you think like it just, it could be told in a more exciting way? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I guess. I mean, I, part of it, I think, was just the fact that it was shot on video, that, like, the quality of the image was just not what I was expecting. I was, okay. I, like, I was expecting these kind of majestic landscapes, but you're just getting a lot of kind of blown out images. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I forgot that um, it was shot on video. And, me too. Yeah. And I was a little bit surprised how video it looked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Because today, if something is shot on video, it, it'd be like high def video, and you wouldn't notice. Yeah. Like in the in the final, once it's finally processed. But yeah. uh, this one, it looks like somebody made a whole movie. Yeah. And I'm, and I mean, I guess like I don't know, just the, like it, I because it was shot on video, it just made me think of of like the dog me movement <laughs> okay. and I've only seen a few movies that I, I, I don't even like just, it made me think of those other movies that I've seen that are shot on video, but kind of use that as an advantage. Whereas I guess I just didn't really see that in this movie, mm -hmm. like the celebration as an example, um, the, uh, what's, what's that guy's name? Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah. Thomas Vinterberg. Um, that movie, like the camera, the camera just has so much movement and energy to it. 
like I'm just thinking of of like when they're approaching the mansion and like they're at the gate and the camera just like whip pans so fast and like I don't know it, it, the, the, because that that's the framework I have in my mind for for that for what that type of image should translate to in terms of I guess the more freedom that you have with with the camera work um, I was just expecting more of that I don't know. Hmm. If I could comment about the video look, I'm just thinking back to my comments about how I, I couldn't place it in time. And I think this is, this is a quality of, um, this is an effect of the uh, video image, is that it always looks like it is around the 90s or 80s, yeah. right? It looks, it looks like the technology. Like a TV movie from the 90s. It, it, it um, yeah, maybe, I think that's about right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it looks, this, the same way that, um, same way like um, a movie from the 50s or 60s, uh, it has a certain look to it in terms of uh, the lighting style that they used or the, or uh, how the, the costuming and everything else. Like you, when you see those kinds of movies, you think like, oh, it was shot, it was made in that period. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody imitates it, like um, Todd Haynes, is it? Mm-hmm. Am I saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Far so from it, heaven. That's right, yeah. yeah. So if someone imitates that, you know what they're trying to achieve in terms of uh, getting that feeling from you. That, right. It, it, um, to like, it's, it's shorthand to say like um, this is where it's taking place, right? Right. So when when I see this movie on video that looks like it was '90s grade video, um, in my mind it looks like it is a homemade video from the '90s. Mm-hmm. So so weirdly when I watch it and it's it's uh, quote unquote cheapness um, signals to my mind that it's real. Uh, when they go into the igloos and uh, when they're like on the frozen tundra, um, actually all of the facade of filmmaking falls away because now, because in my head I'm thinking it's actually someone's handicam right, really right, right. in that space, and because I don't know that they they meant it to be like the the 1500s or whatever, right? Right. To me, it could have been uh, like an authentic uh, video from the '90s. Yeah. Uh, this is how people lived, and I wouldn't know any better. Right. So, it, so it was it it was um, just like this weird effect on my mind where I just assumed everything was real, and then I, I forgot I forgot that it was um, that there would be a filmmaking crew making it. Right? Yeah, that's interesting because that, because like that's kind of what the the Danes were trying to set out to do with the document movement too was to kind of remove the artifice of filmmaking and yeah when Um, you see did you guys watch the end credits for this film and then you see the crew with just like a sled yeah doing i mean what you can't lay dolly tracks in the fucking (laughs) arctic right so they're using a sled to uh do sort of a tracking shot and it's just like oh my god it must have been so challenging they worked from 3 a.m to 3 p.m every day Wow. Because that's when it was light. Oh wow! And when you see the the footage of of um, of the actor playing Atanarjua oh jumping God. around on the ice, completely naked. Can you naked, imagine? Like. <laughs> Let's hope they got that in just a couple takes. <laughs> Jesus, that must have been grueling. Yeah. Well, maybe we uh, we could get into some uh, specific moments in that uh, were striking. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, do you want to lead off with anything? Um, I was really blown away by what a shit heel Oki was. Mm. So when I mention Iago, sometimes there's people that are just so... Iago is... Um, Othello. Othello, okay. Yeah. People that are just so evil to the core that it surprises you that there's no redemption or even just like 
Mr. Potter in the It's a Wonderful Life movie. Like, they mm. never get their comeuppance. And I guess Oki, in the original oral tale, that character is murdered mm. by the fast runner. Uh, in the movie, he's not. But Oki, I mean, he rapes Aten- Atanarjoat's wife. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that from the first viewing at all. Mm-hmm. Like, he is such a terrible... He murders his dad. Mm-hmm. He is a terrible person. So the fact that the fast runner shows him mercy, mm. uh, the guy is just a superhero. To yeah. show mercy to someone who's just a total piece of shit throughout the whole movie. Yeah, no, that's that's a moment that I was not expecting at all. No, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. I just assumed that he would seek vengeance. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it's such a elaborate plan as or, well for him to, or even, or even that he would have no other choice, just to save the community. You've yeah. got to. That's how you get rid of the evil. Is you just have to exterminate it. Mm-hmm. But it it seemed like uh, like the message of everyone being valuable in the community was being reinforced. If they can drive out the evil spirit, but keep Oki and his and his gang as useful elements that that would be a success right it it pays off on on that respect of this of this forgiveness uh instead of uh bloody vengeance it pays off just to an extent because then someone else says like actually there's something you guys got to do yeah Yeah. (laughs) see ya so they're banished from the community which i Mm -hmm. assume would be worse than death yeah i I don't know there was that family that atanarjuat runs into that like they seem to be Kind but Pooja's petulant. Oki is all ego. So for him to be sort of banished mm-hmm. and not have anyone to lord over or bother or compete against, they were that shitty just... hunters. Yeah, we found out at the beginning they're shitty hunters, and they couldn't even keep their own dogs. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the char- character of Pooja, who plays uh, Etanarjuat's uh, second wife that he takes. Oh my God, did you just love? What a horrible, lazy, whiny person she is. Yeah. Like she could have just come right out of a rom-com, like a Katie Heigl movie <laughs> as like the horrible gir- girlfriend or horrible ex-girlfriend. I thought she was very well played and her character was deliciously annoying. I'm thinking of, um, the woman who's in all the scary movies, the blonde. Drew Barrymore? No. Anna Ferris? Anna Ferris. There, there's a movie with her and Deadpool where he like goes home at Christmas. I'm totally fucking blanking on this movie. It's hilarious. But she, but she plays this, the, the exact sort of character you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> so you can please excise that from history. <laughs> My weak attempt to remember a movie that I can't remember the name of <laughs> and actors whose names I don't remember. <laughs> Let's talk about the fast running scene. Yes, like the, which wow. the, the big action centerpiece. Um, I think it's great. I thought it was very suspenseful. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a moment when he like falls, and you can see that. Let's oh, set this up though, so in okay, case people haven't seen it. Gonna just, I'm gonna. Oh, if yeah, you haven't seen it, well, Oki goes it's in, in the title. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oki uh, and his two henchmen. Uh, murder Atanarjuat's brother while they're sleeping in a tent and Atanarjuat leaps out of the tent nude and to save his life runs across the icy tundra to escape getting murdered by Oki and his henchmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, he's coming up to a very large ice crevice 
and then I think sees his late father in a vision and then leaps over the crevice and leaves Oki and his henchmen on the other side so they can't uh, they can't pursue him any longer. Right. It is, with the running sequence, I mean, in, I think narratively, it probably, they, they chase after him for a long, long time mm-hmm. because the sun doesn't set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, I think on screen time, it, it feels like it's 10 minutes or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like a long sequence. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, just the way it's shot, it's, it's, it's visually remi- reminding me of something that, again, I'm not remembering, but like they just, they get so close. Yeah. At, at, at oh, it's a real nail biter. And then, sure. because, because, like you say, he's, he's, tripping every once in a while and and so they're they're right on his heels but he he keeps ahead of them yeah yeah Yeah, the way that it uses the landscape because there's not like a lot of texture in it to like mark distance like Mm -hmm. it i thought it was really interesting how in a frame like they could be really far away or they could be close but they're Mm -hmm. all like being there's no scale we can't tell Mm -hmm. um so yeah there was this sense of um uh of 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 like dread that you didn't really know how close you were going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or if like he was just going to come up on some mountain at some point and would have nowhere to run, like mm-hmm. you, you have no sense of, of depth of absolutely you know, how far he can actually go to get away from these guys yeah. Yeah. or, or if he's just going to hit ocean or whatever. <laughs> right. And later on when he, um, when at Narswat uh, returns to uh, the home village and, uh, and he, like he drives his uh, dog team uh, toward the village, and and it's like little dots on the horizon. But uh, there's actually like the all the actors are actually out there on the ice, and it's just like it's it's it's, it's just the landscape is so big that uh, you, yeah, again, you can't really tell how close he is or what he's approaching until until like you see people moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he uh, is saved by that other family, they nurse his feet, which are obviously bloodied. And, you know, we take it for granted that we've got cotton and we've got, you know, bandages. <laughs> I don't know if you guys recall, but she, it, the person who was caring for him, it was like a little piece of sashimi. And she was just patting his feet with, I think, raw meat. seal blubber yeah, yeah, or yeah. meat or something. Yeah. I don't think you'd want to waste a skin on that. Or maybe it had healing properties. But, you know, to the Vancouver eye... It looks like a piece of tuna sashimi, um, you know, being used to pat his uh, his injured feet. Yeah, it probably wasn't sashimi. I'm just saying, it looked like that. They also had a lot of ice for his injuries, <laughs> just <laughs> to reduce swelling. <laughs> oh, a scene that stuck out to me was um, bef- when uh, Atonajwa and Oki were. Um, Vying for the right to Good um, God. to be with uh, I forget her name now. P- um, Puja? No, no, uh, the, the first oh, wife. Atuat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Atua. Thank Atua. you. Yeah. Right. Um, so they so they are they are invited to um, I forget whose home uh, on the on the pretext that they're having a celebration, mm-hmm. but they're actually getting they're like going to enter into like a some kind of feat of strength. To see who has the right to uh, woo that girl. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I, I was I was confused though that, that when they entered the igloo, it was like dark, and then when the contest started, the scene was light, and I couldn't tell if it was going to a flashback or if something else had happened. Did you catch this? Oh, I, I, you're correct. I, I'm remembering it that way too, but I don't think I questioned might, that. But it, you're right. It just lit some lamps. No, it was like like translucent oh, light coming through the oh, yeah, igloo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, just some, you know, just some uh, some touches that I didn't really understand why they did that. But okay, mm. yeah. you noticed it, but you didn't know you couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah, it, it didn't yeah. register mm. why. Yeah, yeah. That is how Paul won my hand um, through a competition just like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Against. Did he? Did you slap him in the face first, or did he slap you? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. And then he wolfed me, so then I became his. <laughs> Sorry, what, I, I'm not familiar with the concept of wolfing. Uh, when uh, the woman that he's in love with, that he ends up stealing from Oki, Atuat, they're sort of playing like a hide-and-seek or tag, you're it. And she touches his belly underneath his skins and yeah. says, I wolf you, which means I think I'm claiming you, I love oh, okay. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then when they're reunited in that very tender scene, she falls on him and touches his tummy again and says, I wolf you. Yeah. I just loved that. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Another tender moment I thought was really beautiful was when after Atuat is raped by Oki, she is just empty. And I think either empty or trying to be stoic. And the grandmother character, whose character name is Panikpak, and she's actually a writer, director, actor, uh, mm. as part of the Asuma uh, Film Collective. And she says, uh, Oh, little mother, don't hold those tears in. Let them out. And then sings this beautiful song. And it was just, it just was so tender and heartfelt that uh, I found that very moving. Mm. Yeah, there's some really nice emotional beats in this movie. Uh, even though, uh, like, it feels a bit, as, as you said, languid, uh, because uh, some of, like, the bigger scenes, it's... Uh, it's, it's kind of a, the camera keeps its distance. And so it, it kind of just feels like people are um, going through the motions of reciting their lines a lot of the time. But there are some moments where it just seems like uh, you're really sitting in there with the characters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Have we, have we won you over, Alexander? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, it really, it does more come down to the circumstances under which I watch the movie and, just my current state of mind. I think, I think I, I also just have like a, an inherent resentment toward this, this TIFF list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and just question the legitimacy of it, I guess. Yeah. It just, it just seems like the people that they survey are, are sort of mm. familiar to their interests kind of thing. And I don't, well, I guess it, it, it everyone has to, um, decide what, kind of um, value they put into these lists that are compiled by other people yeah you know so um, results will vary I guess but it, it just it, seems it's like the, the the thing that really that sticks out to me most is it just seems suspect that a movie that's only 10 years old can become the greatest movie ever made <laughs> in it within it within a country like but Canada doesn't have like a really notable movie output right yeah yeah so I mean, it the, just it just feels like it should take more time for for something to gain the acclaim that it deserves. Oh, okay. At least in my mind. Mm, yeah, but if something like out of the gate really just knocks you out, I think you have to acknowledge that. But like, but if we're if we're considering you know like greatest movie lists or whatever, the, like the sight and sound one, mm. you know, Vertigo famously topped. Citizen Kane in, in the most recent round, mm -hmm. but like the top ten in that list have have basically stayed consistent for like fifty years or whatever. Okay, and like 
there's you know that like the that the fact that vertigo did surpass citizen kane was like huge news or whatever but like yeah though that that took decades and you know it could swap back or whatever but yeah i don't know i just i don't i don't trust it right so is that tarnage what canada's citizen kane or vertigo and like those those it feels like we're splitting hairs when we say like citizen kane and vertigo well but the fact that they were one and two for like for decades and then now they're two and one yeah as opposed to a movie that didn't exist 10 years ago is now at the top of the list. Right. But I think in terms of pedigree, like, like Canada's looking for a thing that like stands up as like an artistic achievement, a cultural achievement. Right. Something that is, um, you know, unlike anything else that people yeah, so can then compare video drum. <laughs> <laughs> like why, why don't people, why, that, that, that's another thing that I find very suspect, suspect about this list. Is that Dead Ringers is is the Cronenberg movie that that Canadians have chosen to unite behind as opposed to Videodrome, which the rest of the world is mm-hmm. the Cronenberg movie that yeah. the world has chosen to unite sure. behind. Mm-hmm. Well, this was the first <laughs> Canadian movie to win uh, Camera Door at Cannes. Oh, nice! Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so I saw an interview with uh, that's, the director. That's like the directing award, or yeah, yeah. Um, I saw an interview with the director and the actor who played uh, Atanajuat, and they just didn't know that that was a thing. They were just like, oh, well, I guess a lot of Canadian films get this kind of recognition. <laughs> they had no idea that they were the first Canadian film in history wow. to win the Golden Camera at Cannes. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And it made like $6 million worldwide, which yeah. is also very impressive for a Canadian movie, most of which make about $32. Yeah. Canadian. Can I tell you guys what Roger Ebert thought about this movie? Yes. I think we all... Um, admire Roger Ebert. He says, uh, it is unlike anything most audiences will have ever seen, yet it tells a universal story. What's unique is the patience that it has with its characters, the willingness to watch and listen as they reveal themselves, instead of pushing them to the front like little puppets and having them dance through this story. The fast runner is passion filtered through ritual and memory. I thought, hmm. damn. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> Any comments on that? No. 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 Well said. That's well summed up, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he had a way with uh, words. <laughs> well, because you have to wonder, because we're Canadian, um, I think we have an understanding of um, some indigenous culture and art just from living here. And I don't know what someone in Chicago would think of this movie. I don't know what someone in Lyon, France would think of this movie. Mm. It feels very Canadian to me, and I don't know how it would land with anybody else who doesn't live in this country. So mm-hmm. I don't know how we would find that out. But so just to hear Roger Ebert talk about it was just like, oh, well, this is obviously an amazing film critic and someone who's seen a lot of movies, but how do other people digest a movie like this, which is so different than anything they've ever seen? I guess a good movie just uh, transcends those kinds of boundaries. At the Genies, it also won Best Motion Picture, Best Direction, Best Screenplay, Best Editing, and Best Original Score. What else was nominated? Probably Men with Brooms. I actually didn't. I only know that Men with Brooms was made that year. I don't mm-hmm. know what competition it had at the Genies that year. Okay. I, I find it. I found it somewhat comical that that one of the um, sort of accolades that it that it that it received on the on the DVD case was that it was Canada's foreign language submission to the Oscars, but yeah, did not it get nominated, get I guess. Nominated. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've said that it's the first movie that was shot 
in the Inuit language. Mm. I, don't, I, don't I don't know, know if we, know if we said that at the, at the outset. We said it now. Uh, it pumped $1.5 million into the local economy of a glulet and employed 60 people. Nice. And the population of none of it is 1,600 people in 2016. Can that be hmm. right? I feel like... I guess. Wow. Well, that was another thing that kind of jumped out at me, is uh, they they talked about going to Iglulit. Mm-hmm. Iglulit. It's very hard. Just, did yeah. I say that? Anyway, Iglulit. You said something. <laughs> you find it on the map today. So again, it was one of those things that I, I had trouble placing it in a time period because mm. I didn't know like how long how long ago was there a, a place called Iglulit? You know what it means in Inuit? Mm-mm. No, it I means don't. there is a house here. Huh. Okay. Did, did so I think it's probably not a stationary thing in place. I wonder if it's oh, okay. if so you have. It, it may not refer to the modern city so. that we call. I think Inglewood. so. Oh, yeah. okay. No. Um, did Nunavut exist as a territory in two thousand one? It That's feels good. very new, but yeah. I mean, obviously, eighteen years has passed pretty yeah. quickly too. So yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, a good I, question. I can't recall when that. Ha- I feel like it was in the two thousands though. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly when it happened. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the score is something that we could talk about as well. I, I was, uh, I thought it was interesting that it, that it used a lot of didgeridoo, if it was a didgeridoo, but some, some sort of... I think it might be a mouth harp, and I'm only saying that because I watched the Siberian Inuit movie last year, Aga, at hmm. the VIF, and the film opens with... Uh, they call it Yakut, not Inuit in Siberia, but similar peoples. Uh, she was playing this thing that very much had a didgeridoo type of sound to right. it, like a bit of bow, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know for sure if that's what Chris Crilly used in the score, mm-hmm. but I know that someone from a similar culture used a, like a mouth harp thing um, right. in Aga. Okay. Yeah, because I guess... Like I was just kind of curious while watching. Like we don't we don't see them using any instruments. We see them singing, I guess. But I'm just curious if there were any, if there would have been any of instruments that that the Inuit people would have used a thousand years ago. That it makes sense that throat singing would have been yeah like a a form of entertainment and music. Given mm-hmm. that there's such limited resources, you can't cut down a tree and make a guitar. Yeah. But did they have like flutes or? Yeah, drums. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah or I get, yeah. No. Do they, is there a scene of them making a drum? I or don't recall. I, I don't know. No. I, th- I, don't I must think be so. thinking of something else that I saw recently. Yeah. It's really weird. I'm having like some deja vu or something. All the scenes that depict them like doing regular living stuff, though, is, it always revolved around preparing meat. Hmm. Or, or food and, uh, yeah, and shelter. So I don't, it just didn't seem like there was a lot of leisure time. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But you would expect, I guess, if, you know, you have a community that some people would, uh, be the entertainers or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it works exactly. Yeah. 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 I would have liked to have seen that scene though where they make the eyewear because I'm just, I'm mm. really bothered by what tools they used. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Just like a walrus bone or something. It's kind of sharp on the end. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess somewhat related. We've been we've been watching the the new kind of not not planet Earth, but our planet. They're calling it on Netflix. But it's a, it's like it's like a 
it's the exact same as Planet Earth, narrated by David Attenborough. Oh, but, it's narrated by David Attenborough. Yeah, but just not affiliated with BBC, I guess. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's got a different name, but um, they they the first episode is all about like ice related habitats, I guess, and like the big thing that comes up is is that you know whether it's the polar bears or, or there's a, there's these walrus populations that basically all flock to this one island every year and it's literally covered in walruses to the point where they have no place to go and so they have to like try and climb up this steep cliff and just just to get to more area where they can where they can sit because there's no ice that they can sit on and they're all falling off this thing and like it's pretty it's pretty brutal actually like the the footage that they get of these walruses falling off falling off um these cliffs but um i just it, it just seems like they'd be constantly stabbing each other because <laughs> they're like because they're climbing yeah. over each other trying <laughs> to get space but um yeah I, I, it just it just made me think of like would there be enough what like if they were to shoot this movie today would they have been able to shoot it? Like, cause, cause in, in the, the running scene, it's in the kind of springtime when that, when the mm-hmm. ices are melting. And so would they have even had enough terrain to, yeah. to shoot the scene in the same way or whatever? Like, it's just, it's interesting. Or even like, um, the like, production could only happen in April because that yeah. was the only time that, um, the conditions would be hospitable enough for the crew yeah. to, uh, to shoot. Or like we watched, we watched, um, Fargo again recently and apparently that winter when they were shooting that there was like no snow in in North Dakota and and Minnesota so they they were just they were like driving north into Canada to shoot some of the scenes because they had no snow huh it would have been a much shorter run for (laughs) Atanajarat okay so in terms of a movie to compare it against the uh, like the, the similarities in the narrative to uh, some other movies I've, I was thinking about, where um, there's uh, a line of ascension that's interrupted by uh, a usurper to the crown. Uh, there's the uh, the next generation son who has to come and uh, and uh, reclaim the throne. Uh, also thinking about how uh, this movie is notable for um, being made by. The people of a uh, of a of a culture that doesn't have um, that that voice to make films normally. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would think that we should compare it against Black Panther. Okay. Ooh, that's interesting. Huh. Good one, William. Usage of like non-traditional instrumentation in the score as well. You mean Kendrick Lamar? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no. The the score in Black Panther has a lot of. Um, has a lot of African instruments in it that like you wouldn't find in in other Marvel movies, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 guy um, uh, Ludwig Göransson he he actually like traveled to Africa and and like collected field recordings for months and months and, oh, is that and right? worked with a few people in in particular to cool. kind of get into all these different communities and sampled all the instruments and everything. Yeah. I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Chris, you want to go first? Nope. <laughs> Well, so the question is, is Oki or What's-His-Nuts a better villain? Oh, I suppose uh, you, you do would consider that, yeah, because they're yeah. comparable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. What, what, What's-His-Nuts? 
It's like Scar. It's like, yeah, I want to say Scar. No, no it's, that's actually no, a different like, movie that has the same kind of plot. It's like Skybrander or like it's some kind of <laughs> it's some kind of space name. Hmm. Isn't it? Jump farther. Oh, oh, Kilgore. Killmonger. Killmonger. Oh, good nice retrieval, fellas. <laughs> good job. Um yeah, Oki or Oki versus Killmonger. Who who wins? In this isn't about their abs, a, right? This is a about final showdown. How bad they are. <laughs> I'm just asking. Well, do we see Oki's abs? Or the, his or his bare the chest? Contest I suppose? Yes, I that's right. Yeah. 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 Michael B. Jordan wins that yeah. particular contest. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, <coughs> that's and he's got the, the better is it hair. Hot in here or is it? No, okay, never mind. He's <laughs> got the better hair. He's got the better denim, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then I I'm gonna say. Um, Atanarjwat is Black Panther plus one for me. So Atanarjwat equals Black Panther, or no, sorry, Black Panther equals Atanarjwat minus one. So a Black like Black Panther is less than Atanarjwat. I agree with that. Right. Yes. By how much? They're pretty close. They're pretty. I mean, it's, obviously, it's you know apples and seal meat. That's a completely different thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, minus one. Or plus one, minus one. Oh God! I'm a Tarjuat would be would be plus one if you're if you're saying it's better than. Yes, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll just. I'll just say minus one. Just because I guess I didn't. I didn't connect with it as much as you guys, and I did. I feel like I did. Kind of connect with Black Panther, although at the same time. Like it's a Marvel movie with lots of explosions, and I kind of lose consciousness partway through. Like I, that that literally always happens with those movies. Is In I the just third get, act, I just lose it. Well, no, I just get I get like visual overload, and I gen, I like I, I literally like lose consciousness. I, it's not like falling asleep. I just kind of like pass out. <laughs> <laughs> that would not happen in at the nausea. No. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I didn't know this until I was doing a little research. There are three movies that are sort of part of, it's part of a trilogy, which I didn't know. So it's The Fast Runner, The Journals of Nude Rasmussen, which is set in the 1920s, and Before Tomorrow, which is set in 1840. So for people who enjoyed this film, they might want to go and visit those other two films. Um, and oh, this is also what, by uh, Zacharias uh, One is, and then the other one I think is actually the grandmother in this Oh, helped okay. uh, uh, produce and direct nice. that one. And for those of you who are also interested, uh, the NFB launched Indigenous Cinema, which is an online library of over 200 Canadian films by Indigenous directors. So if you want to see some more Indigenous film, then you can check it out on the NFB website. Cool beans. Great. Well, then until the uh, next recording, see you guys. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Yes. Yes.